Hello, and welcome back to the According to Andrew podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, in case you have not already guessed that. And I'm your co-host, Chuck. Chuck, I told you, I'm hosting this show by myself. Okay, just me. Anyways, it's great to talk to all of you, even if I can't see your faces. But hey, even if we were seeing each other in real life, I still wouldn't be able to see your faces. Because we're wearing masks now. So I can only see half of your face. And not your whole face. Wow, that was a terrible joke. So anyways, today I'll be talking about a topic that many of you might know. Where do babies come from? Wait, that topic is um for tomorrow. Oh, uh, sorry. Today I'll be talking about racism. And how it has affected each and every one of us. Yes, racism is still relevant even during this pandemic. I, for one, have not really faced racism personally, but my dad and my sister have. I live in a condominium, by the way, so we use elevators to get to the ground. But my father and my sister were going out for an appointment and called for an elevator. An elevator came, and there were only two young white ladies inside. These ladies did not have masks on, but my dad and my sister were wearing masks, and there was enough space in the big elevator to accommodate all four of them while still maintaining physical distancing. But the two ladies used the excuse of social distancing and told my dad and my sister that there was no room for them. My dad and sister had no choice but to wait for the next elevator to come. I mean, those ladies could not use the excuse of the virus spreading to stop your dad and your sister from getting on the elevator because they weren't even wearing masks. I know, right? Wait, Chuck, I'm hosting the podcast. Why are you here? Why not? Oh, whatever. Just don't say anything crazy, got it? Yup. As I was saying, what my dad and my sister experienced was racism. But racism has gone to a much bigger extent in the US. I'm sure all of you have heard about the brutal murder of Breonna Taylor. But for those who don't know, I'll explain what happened. Viewer discretion. The following story is quite disturbing. Oh, I know about the story. I know about the story. Can I talk about it? Chuck! Fine. Go ahead. Thanks, man. So here's what happened. Three officers barged into her house for a search warrant for selling controlled substances, but Brianna was not involved in the crime. Her boyfriend was. She was shot eight times, though, and died soon after. People have been protesting ever since to bring these three officers to justice, and many influential people have responded to this issue. So far, one officer involved in Brianna's death has been fired, and the rest have been put on administrative... Oh, that's the word. Thanks, man. Administrative leave. Still, there are protests happening out on the street, and even sports teams have done their best to honor Brianna, and have tried their best to end racial injustice. The September 2020 edition of the O Magazine even featured Brianna on the cover, instead of usually Oprah, in order to commemorate her and others who have lost their lives. Wow. I didn't know you knew that much, or anything at all. I always thought you were a knucklehead. Oh, thanks. Wait, that was an accomplice. As you can tell from the previous story, racism has gone to such an extreme that innocent lives are being taken. It's been impacting people here in Canada too, like the indigenous people who have been treated unfairly by Canadians throughout history. The Raptors even wore jerseys that were promoting Black Lives Matter. Racism is a real problem in Canada. But at least the extent of racism has gone down ever since COVID-19 hit. Wow, that is absolutely untrue. The extent of racism has gone even higher because of the virus. Oh well, I'm not always right. Believe it or not, I also make mistakes. Well, that is a surprise to absolutely no one. Anyways, you might ask, to what extent is there racism in Canada? 
especially during this epidemic? Well, that's the question we're focusing on today. So let's explore some examples. From May 20th to July 19th, Toronto Public Health collected race-based data to address the concern that racialized and low-income residents are inordinately affected by this virus. Well, what year was it? I mean, was it taken last year? Ah, yes, Chuck. The pandemic hit us in May 2019. Obviously, it was taken this year. As I was saying, we can learn that 83% of the population of the data was of members of racialized communities. We can also see that low-income residents make up a little more than 50% of infections collected from the data. It's pretty evident that the virus has a bigger impact on those who are facing health inequities. Are these numbers going to decrease or increase in the future? The data doesn't tell me that. Are these communities going to keep facing these inequities? Will the city help them? Those are some unanswered questions, Chuck. But if you think that's bad, listen to this. Indigenous people are becoming vulnerable to this virus. There's no current data to prove this, but there is some evidence from the past. A study taken in 2009, First Nations communities were 6.5 times more likely to be in the ICU because of the H1N1 influenza virus, which was another pandemic that hit Canada at that time. The indigenous people were not given proper necessities to sustain themselves, so it was evident that they would be vulnerable to this virus. They were even given body bags with supplies to protect themselves from the virus because of the increase in fatalities. History can repeat itself. But we don't know that for sure. Is there current data to prove that? No data yet, but there are reasons for concern. First of all, washing your hands is an important part of protecting yourself from this virus. But most of the First Nations don't even have access to clean water. How will they wash their hands? There is also not enough funding for on-reserve housing, which means that they'll have to stay in crowded areas, which prevents them from practicing physical distancing. This isn't really new information for me, because I know that Canada has treated them unfairly before, so it kind of extends upon what I know. Hey, I have an idea. Why not I explain different examples of racism in Canada, and you ask me any questions, what the data doesn't tell you, and if this information contradicts, confirms, or extends upon what you know. Ooh, I like that. So what's next? This one touches upon an example we talked about earlier, Chuck. Toronto Public Health collected data about whether racialized and low-income communities are being disproportionately affected by the virus. Now Peel Regional Public Health and Dalalana School of Public Health have collected data from these communities. We can learn that Arab, Middle Eastern, Black, Latin American, Southeast Asian, and West Asian origin residents are six to nine times more likely to contract the virus than the white population and are excessive in COVID-19 cases compared to their proportion of the population. We can also see that low-income residents are prone to the virus from lack of social distancing because of the in inability to afford a downtown condo in Toronto because the housing market is so hot. Since this is the case, low-income and racialized households will have to live in overcrowded housing which lowers the possibility of physical distancing. Well, this does not tell me if the government has a plan to lower the number of infections amongst these communities. Will they create a plan soon? Since we already talked about racialized communities and low-income communities being inordinately affected by this virus, whoa, a lot of big words there, this information extends upon what I already knew. I feel terrible for these communities. They're not given affordable housing, there are social determinants in the health system, 
and they are having very limited access to healthcare. This contradicted what I knew as I thought healthcare was equitable, but the reality is that the extent of racism has gone as far as healthcare and necessities caused by social determinants of health. Hold up, even healthcare isn't equitable? Wow, that contradicted what I thought I knew. See, this is the reality, even healthcare can be racist. Okay, here's the next one. The Charlotte Observer collected race-based data to showcase the impact of the virus on black communities. It was collected on March 30th in Mecklenburg County, Charlotte, North Carolina. We can understand from the data collected that black people accumulated up to 43.9% of the 303 local cases, but they only account for 32.9% of the country's population. We can also learn that racism can affect their health, as the indigenous and black population are facing unjust and racist health systems, and that low-income families are not able to protect themselves from this virus because of lack of affordability of supplies and necessities and money to support physical distancing. Okay, but that's in the US. What about Canada? The same problem is happening in Canada, remember? The indigenous people and other racialized communities are facing racist health systems, and low-income families are not able to afford supplies to protect themselves, and are not able to live in a house that can help them practice social distancing. Not only that, but there is even racism in the workplace, even during this epidemic. In the workplace, racialized healthcare workers are not in high positions, and are often subject to violence. And if that's not bad enough, there was a time where many people didn't even take the virus seriously. When the virus first struck China and many infections and deaths were reported, many countries ignored this warning. It was only after there were outbursts and casualties in their own countries that they started to listen. It goes to show that racialized deaths are not taken seriously by other Western countries. Wow, I remember that there were people labeling viruses such as Ebola being seen as black in nature. Even Trump did this by referring the COVID-19 virus as the China virus. He did this many times. I'm going to be honest, I did not expect there to be racism in the workplace. I thought that in the workplace, everyone was treated each other equally. This contradicted everything I knew. The fact that the extent of racism has gone as far as politicians at the workplace is just depressing. In a study created by Environs Institute in 2019, 38% of respondents reported that they faced racial discrimination in the workplace. However, this is of the 20% of people who said that they had faced discrimination in an earlier survey. So in reality, about 8% of Canada's population faced racism in the workplace. But this was in 2019. The situation certainly has changed since COVID-19 hit. Oh, definitely. Okay, this last one is probably the most depressing one. Oh, so it's depressinger than the others. I don't think that's a word. Of course it is. You haven't heard the word others before? Never mind. Anyways, the Angus Reid Institute and the University of Alberta created a poll to gather data on Chinese Canadians' experience during this epidemic. This poll was conducted from June 15th to 18th in Canada. From the data collected, 43% of respondents from the poll have declared that they have been personally threatened at least once. 8% of respondents claim they haven't been physically assaulted by strangers and 13% say that they have been threatened frequently. We can see that 30% of respondents say that they have changed some of their routines because of the fear of being discriminated against because of their ethnicity, 
and that one in three respondents have been treated like they are a threat to the safety and health of other residents. 50% of the total respondents from the survey said they were insulted because of the race. Wow, is Canada going to respond to this? Will they find a solution for this problem? I hope so. To fully understand the racism the Chinese Canadians face, here's an example. In Vancouver, a man pushed an elderly Asian man with dementia to the ground while yelling racist insults at him. What? This is outrageous. As evident by Trump's infamous labeling of the virus China virus, I knew that there would be enmity towards the Chinese population, so this information confirms and extends upon what I already knew. But this has got to be the limit. Fortunately, it's not for many people. One of the respondents said they have been spat on the face by a cyclist, and another says that they have been repeatedly yelled at in their neighborhood. Times are tough, especially for the Chinese Canadians. It's sad to see that people automatically assume that Chinese Canadians are a threat to the health and safety of others just because the virus had originated from their home country. Yeah, I'll be honest, all these examples explain the extent of racism in Canada. It sure does, Chuck. I have one more question. How has this experience given you greater insight into Black Lives Matter, Indigenous rights, racial profiling, and other acts of injustice that exist today? I will say this. I finally understood the importance of these protests. I got used to protests happening in the city, and I didn't really acknowledge them. But after looking at it from a different perspective, I actually understand why there are protests happening. People demand change. People want equitable and non-racist healthcare, they want to end hate crimes, and most importantly, they want to end racism. That is at the core of all of this. Indigenous people need access to supplies to sustain themselves throughout this pandemic. They have been mistreated lots of times by Canada. It's time we treat them right. What has resonated with you? I think the whole concept of ending the racism towards Chinese Canadians really resonated with me. I feel that it is something that should happen. I don't think that Chinese Canadians deserve to be discriminated against because of their ethnicity or because the virus came from their home country. It's not okay to define a whole race because of a virus. I totally agree with you. Until there is equitable healthcare and no more racism in Canada, protests will still need to happen. Because I don't think there is any other way for others to really understand the issue of racism here. So that's it for our show. Thank you for tuning in to the According to Andrew podcast. You mean the According to Andrew po- In a study taken in 2009, First Nations communities were 6.5 times more likely to be in the ICU because of the H1N1 influenza virus, which was another pandemic that hit Canada at that time. The indigenous people were not given proper necessities to sustain themselves, so it was evident that they would be vulnerable to this virus. They were even given body bags with supplies to protect themselves from the virus because of the increase in fatalities. History can repeat itself, but we don't know that for sure. Is there current data to prove that? No data yet, but there are reasons for concern. First of all, washing your hands is an important part of protecting yourself from this virus. But most of the First Nations don't even have access to clean water. How will they wash their hands? There is also not enough funding for on-reserve housing, which means that they'll have to stay in crowded areas, which prevents them from practicing physical distancing. This isn't really new information for me, because I know that Canada has treated them unfairly before. 
So it kind of extends upon what I know. Hey, I have an idea. Why not I explain different examples of racism in Canada and you ask me any questions, what the data doesn't tell you, and if this information contradicts, confirms, or extends upon what you know. Ooh, I like that. So what's next? This one touches upon an example we talked about earlier, Chuck. Toronto Public Health collected data about whether racialized and low-income communities are being disproportionately affected by the virus. Now Peel Regional Public Health and Dalalana School of Public Health have collected data from these communities. We can learn that Arab, Middle Eastern, Black, Latin American, Southeast Asian, and West Asian origin residents are six to nine times more likely to contract the virus than the white population and are excessive in COVID-19 cases compared to their proportion of the population. We can also see that low-income residents are prone to the virus from lack of social distancing because of the inability to afford a downtown condo in Toronto because the housing market is so hot. Since this is the case, low-income and racialized households will have to live in overcrowded housing which lowers the possibility of physical distancing. Well, this does not tell me if the government has a plan to lower the number of infections amongst these communities. Will they create a plan soon? Since we already talked about racialized communities and low-income communities being inordinately affected by this virus, whoa, a lot of big words there, this information extends upon what I already knew. I feel terrible for these communities. They're not given affordable housing, there are social determinants in the health system, and they are having very limited access to healthcare. This contradicted what I knew as I thought healthcare was equitable, but the reality is that the extent of racism has gone as far as healthcare and necessities caused by social determinants of health. Hold up, even healthcare isn't equitable? Wow, that contradicted what I thought I knew. See, this is the reality, even healthcare can be racist. Okay, here's the next one. The Charlotte Observer collected race-based data to showcase the impact of the virus on black communities. It was collected on March 30th in Mecklenburg County, Charlotte, North Carolina. We can understand from the data collected that black people accumulated up to 43.9% of the 303 local cases, but they only account for 32.9% of the country's population. We can also learn that racism can affect their health as the indigenous and black population are facing unjust and racist health systems and that low-income families are not able to protect themselves from this virus because of lack of affordability of supplies and necessities and money to support physical distancing. Okay, but that's in the US. What about Canada? The same problem is happening in Canada, remember? The indigenous people and other racialized communities are facing racist health systems and low-income families are not able to afford supplies to protect themselves and are not able to live in a house that can help them practice social distancing. Not only that, but there is even racism in the workplace, even during this epidemic. In the workplace, racialized healthcare workers are not in high positions and are often subject to violence. And if that's not bad enough, there was a time where many people didn't even take the virus seriously. When the virus first struck China and many infections and deaths were reported, many countries ignored this warning. It was only after there were outbursts and casualties in their own countries that they started to listen. It goes to show that racialized deaths are not taken seriously by other Western countries. Wow, I remember that there were people labeling viruses such as Ebola being seen as black in nature. 
Even Trump did this by referring the COVID-19 virus as the China virus. He did this many times. I'm gonna be honest, I did not expect there to be racism in the workplace. I thought that in the workplace, everyone was treated each other equally. This contradicted everything I knew. The fact that the extent of racism has gone as far as politicians at the workplace is just depressing. In a study created by Environs Institute in 2019, 38% of respondents reported that they faced racial discrimination in the workplace. However, this is of the 20% of people who said that they had faced discrimination in an earlier survey. So in reality, about 8% of Canada's population faced racism in the workplace. But this was in 2019. The situation certainly has changed since COVID-19 hit. Oh, definitely. Okay, this last one is probably the most depressing one. Oh, so it's depressinger than the others. I don't think that's a word. Of course it is. You haven't heard the word others before? Never mind. Anyways, the Angus Reid Institute and the University of Alberta created a poll to gather data on Chinese Canadians' experience during this epidemic. This poll was conducted from June 15th to 18th in Canada. From the data collected, 43% of respondents from the poll have declared that they have been personally threatened at least once. 8% of respondents claim they haven't been physically assaulted by strangers, and 13% say that they have been threatened frequently. We can see that 30% of respondents say that they have changed some of their routines because of the fear of being discriminated against because of their ethnicity, and that one in three respondents have been treated like they are a threat to the safety and health of other residents. 50% of the total respondents from the survey said they were insulted because of the race. Wow, is Canada going to respond to this? Will they find a solution for this problem? I hope so. To fully understand the racism the Chinese Canadians face, here's an example. In Vancouver, a man pushed an elderly Asian man with dementia to the ground while yelling racist insults at him. What? This is outrageous! As evident by Trump's infamous labeling of the virus China virus, I knew that there would be enmity towards the Chinese population, so this information confirms and extends upon what I already knew. But this has got to be the limit! Fortunately, it's not for many people. One of the respondents said they have been spat on the face by a cyclist, and another says that they have been repeatedly yelled at in their neighborhood. Times are tough, especially for the Chinese Canadians. It's sad to see that people automatically assume that Chinese Canadians are a threat to the health and safety of others just because the virus had originated from their home country. Yeah, I'll be honest, all these examples explain the extent of racism in Canada. It sure does, Chuck. I have one more question. How has this experience given you greater insight into Black Lives Matter, Indigenous rights, racial profiling, and other acts of injustice that exist today? I will say this. I finally understood the importance of these protests. I got used to protests happening in the city, and I didn't really acknowledge them. But after looking at it from a different perspective, I actually understand why there are protests happening. People demand change. People want equitable and non-racist healthcare, they want to end hate crimes, and most importantly, they want to end racism. That is at the core of all of this. Indigenous people need access to supplies to sustain themselves throughout this pandemic. They have been mistreated lots of times by Canada. It's time we treat them right. What has resonated with you? 
I think the whole concept of ending the racism towards Chinese Canadians really resonated with me. I feel that it is something that should happen. I don't think that Chinese Canadians deserve to be discriminated against because of their ethnicity or because the virus came from their home country. It's not okay to define a whole race because of a virus. I totally agree with you. Until there is equitable healthcare and no more racism in Canada, protests will still need to happen. Because I don't think there is any other way for others to really understand the issue of racism here. So that's it for our show. Thank you for tuning in to the According to Andrew podcast. You mean the According to Andrew podcast with Chuck? Doesn't have the same ring to it. Anyways, tune in tomorrow where we will be talking about where babies come from. Wait, why is that a topic? I've always wanted to know. We all know where they come from, Chuck. Storks. Oh. Anyways, this is Andrew and Chuck signing off.